Well, we're starting a conversation over this month around the whole subject of discipleship. And it's become very popular, I think, in the Western church to talk about discipleship. In fact, just about every conference I go to or every place I go where there's leaders gathering together, they are really grappling with the issues of discipleship. And the reason why we've called it this particular title is that we want our conversation around discipleship to be more than academic, more than just a philosophy or a philosophical ideology. We wanted to make it practical so that we can become the best disciples we can become. And more importantly than that, we can lead other people into that exact process. That's why it's called I Disciple. Now, I don't know how you feel about that. I don't know where you sit on the spectrum of the capacity you feel you have or don't have to disciple somebody else. But is there anybody here this afternoon who has met with Jesus? I'm just checking. I'm not always sure. Anybody here who's met with Jesus, had an experience of Jesus, had an encounter of Jesus? Will you already have a whole bunch of wonderful revelations of who God is that you can pass on to somebody else? This is not something that we just learn in an academic setting. True discipleship comes out of relationship with God. As we experience him, we help others experience him also. There's a wonderful principle in the scriptures that I think we see right the way from the beginning through to the end. It's a principle I try and live by. It's called beholding. I get to see who God is in a particular way. And then I can become like him in that manner. So how many of us would like to be holy? It's not a very popular concept in the church, clearly, is it? Who would like to be holy? Now, holy isn't uptight. Okay, holy isn't self-righteous. Holy is the very essence and the nature of who God is. And a good correlation between holiness and purity and a practical application is what I would call wholeness. When it is well with me and I'm living in good harmony with God and the world around me and myself... I'm actually probably being more free from the things that distract me. I'm probably holier at moments like that than when I'm trying to be holy by human effort. So we all want to be holy. But how do we become holy? Well, we behold the holiness of God. When we see God for who he is, we start to understand who we can be. And as we open our eyes to see the nature and character and the person of Christ... You will never be without hope and joy in becoming the person that you desire to be. He is everything we want to be and so much more than we currently have the capacity to become. So if you've seen God or experienced God or have a relationship with God, you are already, whether you realize it or not, on the road to discipleship. God has started working in you. He started forming in you his likeness. He's teaching you things and showing you things and opening up new adventures to you. And it's a wonderful thing to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But we can't keep that experience to ourselves. Neither does the Bible allow us to. It instructs us to go and to help others come into relationship with God. So we're calling it I Disciple. Why don't you say it out loud because we're going to hold you to it. It's almost like a heavenly contract. Is that okay? Repeat after me. I disciple. disciple. What you're saying in that way is I have the capacity, if I have already a discipleship experience with Jesus, to bring someone else on that adventure too. And I'm hoping in the years that lie ahead, we'll see many of you grow in your capacity to do so and many people come to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, our family is large, but it's not large enough for God. 
God is a generous heart. He wants to bring every nation, tribe, and tongue into his family. And thank the Lord for the fact that he's touched your life and it's the beginning of an adventure with him. The reason why this is an important conversation is because we have somewhat a little bit of a disparity in the church of Jesus Christ, particularly in the West. There are some people that believe being a follower of Jesus is just about having your sins forgiven. And I remember talking to somebody recently and they said this to me, well surely if I've just asked God to forgive me and I've accepted his wonderful forgiveness in my life, won't I definitely go to heaven when I die? If that's the case, then why do I have to go to church? I know you've thought it, you've never said it out loud. If my sins are forgiven and I'm made right with God, why do I have to be nice to people? Why do I have to read the Bible? And you see, it's probably true, and I think it is true, that when we ask God to forgive us for our sins, he most definitely does forgive our sins. But actually, as I read through the Bible, I realize there's so much more to Christianity than just that. It's almost like having our sins forgiven and our relationship with God restored is the beginning of the adventure. It's not the end of the story. But there are those around us who won't let us stay comfortable with any notion that we can just be saved and not sanctified. That we can just have our sins forgiven, go to heaven and not be changed. And I'm grateful for people like that because they have challenged me throughout the 34 years I've walked with Jesus. And in fact, without them, I probably would have just stayed living the life I had, but believing somehow that God was good enough to let me get into the heavens. So what about the Lordship of Christ? Has anybody ever heard of that term? That means that he has complete control over every part of you. <laughs> How is that going? <laughs> Can you imagine what that would look like? God has complete control over every part of you. I mean, we'd really be grateful if he would. You probably wouldn't know what to do if he did. But the truth is, that is the goal of God. He wants to be the Lord of your life. Not because he's controlling, but because he knows better than you. He simply is the most intelligent person that you're having dialogue with right now. He knows everything about everything. Why would you not let him, therefore, be the lead or the guide in your life? It makes no sense to me to say that Jesus has the power to forgive our sins, but yet we don't offer him the opportunity to help us to become like him. What about spiritual formation? Is there anybody here who realized that even when you became a Christian, you didn't wake up the following day and everything was right and perfect in your life? Anybody notice that? To one of the most difficult moments I had is when I sinned after I got saved. I could not believe I could do such a crime. I mean, prior to getting saved, it was only a week in the gap. I did all of those things and never thought twice about them. But whenever I invited Jesus into my life, I really experienced the love and the beauty and the mercy of God. I was horrified that I still had a propensity to sin. Have you noticed that you find it much easier to sin than you do to be a saint? Come on, tell the truth, you're in church. And to qualify and quantify how we live with that kind of compromise, people say things like this. Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven. And that's true. I remember when I first tried to bring people to church, when I first became a Christian, I'd say, come along to church. And people would say to me in the show business world, I can't go to church, it's full of hypocrites. I said, well, come anyway, there's room for one more. 
And to some extent, we kind of sort of are a little bit hypocritical. We preach a gospel that perhaps we don't always live up to. We aspire to be like Jesus, but actually when Jesus is trying to make us like him, we conspire to resist the temptation to follow him. Our flesh gets in the way of our future. Amen? We struggle to let God have control. We want everything according to the gospel of our lives and not always according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's something I want to say to you, and I think it's really important to say out loud in this generation. Nothing in what Jesus himself or his earlier followers taught us suggests that you can decide just to enjoy the forgiveness of Jesus and have nothing more to do with him afterwards. In fact, the Bible is clear all the way through that salvation apart from obedience is unknown in the scriptures. Those two things, they go hand in hand. They're the same reality of what it means to be in relationship with God. And can I ask you this question? If that is what you think it looks like for us to be a follower of Jesus, how do you think Jesus feels about that when he gave his life wholeheartedly to ensure that you could have relationship with God the Father? If you can trust him for the forgiveness of your sins, surely you can trust him with the rest of your life. And if Jesus is right about your sin, then he must also be right about everything. Turn with me, please, if you will, in your Bible to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, we're going to read from verses 25 onwards together to highlight to us that there is no separation between salvation and obedience. That actually to truly be saved is to be a disciple that follows and indeed is taught by Jesus, and indeed changes to become like him. Luke chapter 15, verse 25, listen to these words. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, listen to his words, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, does that sound a little harsh? It sounds a little intense, doesn't it? But what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples is there is no salvation without submission. There is no salvation without God leading and guiding and becoming the whole realm of what you believe to be true and right about every part of life. And look what it says in verse 27. If that wasn't hard enough, Jesus goes a little deeper and says, this is going to be costly. Church, can I tell you that to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a true follower of Jesus is going to cost you everything. Please don't think you can have discipleship on the cheap. You may have got salvation for free, but it's going to cost you the whole of your life to follow Jesus. There are times when God is going to ask you to do things you really don't want to do. Has anybody noticed that? Yes? Do you know there was a moment in my life where I had to make a huge decision. You know my past, I came from a gay lifestyle. And there was this gentleman that came up on the radar. I'd been saved about six months. And I knew that if I stepped towards this relationship, that actually things would happen that would not be beneficial to my relationship with God. And I remember picking up the phone and ringing this gentleman. And saying to him, I can't meet you. And I put the phone down and I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried. 
not because he wasn't, you know, the, the be and end all of everything, but I realized that something had happened in my soul that made Jesus more appealing than the things that I wanted here on earth. And it's important to say that God would challenge that in your life. If you think you're going to coast along and Jesus isn't going to challenge some of the things you desire and want, then please, 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 you need to find another religion. Christianity is the hardest thing you will ever do with your life. And that's not the end of the story. As we give our life over to God, God gives his life to us. The reality is the more I give unto him, the more I receive from him. The fuller my life becomes. And if you're reading through the scriptures, just camp around John 10.10. 10. Because Jesus really clears up the clutter for us in our thinking regarding what discipleship is. He said, the thief has come to steal and destroy, but I have come that you should have life and life in all its fullness. And I can hear you thinking, how can that be life in all its fullness if it's about forsaking family to pursue God or prioritizing family over God? Well, I want to just say something about a little wisdom moment there. There is no one in your family who can tell you they will be with you forever. But there is one who promises that he will never leave or forsake you. With all the best intentions in the world in family, sometimes there are greatest joy and our most tragic heartache. And Jesus is saying, put me first. Place me at the center of your life. And the relationships around you will function an awful lot better. You won't be leaning on everybody else to try and find happiness and joy. You will receive joy in relationship with me. You see, there's a great wisdom to the instructions of the word of God. And if anyone does not, sorry, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Well, if it was going tough, it's about to get tougher. For us to truly be a disciple of Jesus Christ, we have to die. Now, I'll say this to you, and I'll say it as nicely as I can. You're going to die anyway. And while you're living, there are two people trying to kill you. Okay? One is the devil, and the other is God. Now, I don't know how wise you are. People tell me people from Irish or Ireland are a little bit dim. But I've made up my mind that if I let Jesus kill me, it's going to be a good thing for me. If I let the other fella go after me, it's going to be tragic. So make up your mind who's going to kill you off. And you are going to be killed off, by the way. That's the truth. That's what spiritual journeys look like. You have to die so that you can live. You have to give in so that God can turn up. And that means carrying your cross and following him. Look at verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it. For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. And then Jesus talks about the impact that that kind of lifestyle has on the world around us. He says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit for the soil nor for manure pile. It is thrown out 
and this is his word to us. Whoever has ears, let him hear. So the notion that somehow we can be a Christian and not be a disciple, that somehow we can have our sins forgiven and not actually ever follow Jesus, does not equate with Jesus' teaching on what discipleship really looks like. Everybody okay so far? Another thing that needs to be said out loud is this. If we don't move away from being a fan and become a follower, we will never truly be transformed. You see, there are lots of people who like Jesus. They like what he stands for. They like how he treats people. They like what he promises. And there are many fans in the church. People who like, well, they have bumper stickers and T-shirts with things on and Bible verses on their fridge. But you know, just because you've got the paraphernalia doesn't mean that you have the person of Christ in your life. We really need God to help us to change. We need his transforming power. If we don't move from being a fan and become a follower of Jesus, we're going to be stuck as far as our morality is concerned. We'll never truly be changed. Now, you may not be that interested in changing, but actually, isn't it true that in the core of every human being, there's a desire to do good? Don't we try to be better people? Don't we? We do our best, don't we? We try not to be greedy at the buffet. We do. We think it's a good thing to do, don't we? I know some of you ignore those rules, but it is a good thing to do. Don't eat all of the cake before people get to it. If people are rude to you, you try to be nice back. Here's a great wisdom word. A kind word turns away wrath. I wish some of the drivers on the streets of London would hear that. Because I'm having all kinds of sign language from all parts of the world given to me when I'm crossing over at junctions these days. And I'm trying to learn another language, but that wasn't the one I was hoping for. But we somehow inside ourselves all believe that we have to try to be good. We have to try to be better, try to be kinder, try to be more sensitive. Is there anybody here who's married? I've spent 25 years trying to try to be sensitive. And you know the irony is, I thought I was sensitive at the beginning. But hopefully I'm growing in that. Now while we have to try to be good, we never have to try to be bad. We find it quite easy to choose sin. It seems to come kind of naturally to us. I remember when Emily was about two or three, we took her for the first time to a nursery. And, uh, you know, I say of Emily, and I make jokes about her, I shouldn't, but she's not here, so I will. I say my daughter Emily has a thing, a very serious complaint. Please, please pray for her. It's called princess syndrome. Have you heard of that princess syndrome? Okay. And, and we brought her up to believe she was absolutely beautiful and special. And of course, we sent it to nursery and every other kid believed exactly the same thing about themselves. You know how it goes. And one day I went to pick her up from the nursery. I rushed out of the church office to try and get there on time. And I get there and Emily is standing with tears in her eyes and this little kind of fluffy toy that looks like it was so embedded in her fist, she would have to have surgical treatment to remove it. 
Now, this was her little toy that she used to sleep with, and the story began to unfold that somebody else was trying to take it from her. Well, you know, I thought she was a nice kid. But as the teacher began to explain to us, all hell broke loose in the nursery that day because this other little boy, he saw it sitting on the side and he thought, that's mine. And Emily was having none of it. And this mild-mannered, joyous child somehow turned into a mother. (laughs) I think it was probably more like a father. (laughs) Trying to reason with her was absolutely impossible. She was not up for any negotiation. And I noticed in her a real sense of self. And if you work with children a lot, you see that that presents itself in regular ways. You never have to teach a child to be selfish. It's almost like it's natural to them. They have a trinity at work. I call it me, myself, and I. And they end up growing up wearing larger clothes, but with the same syndrome. And we find it so much easier to sin than we do to be good. It seems to come naturally to us to be selfish. Is there anyone here selfish? Are you too selfish to admit it? (laughs) Is there anyone here who gets angry at all? Not you, Sam, surely. (laughs) Anybody get angry? Anybody hate injustice? Don't you love to pretend that you love justice, but actually it's injustice concerning you that you really hate? <laughs> I was with somebody recently and they were, um, they were telling me that their anger with somebody in a church was righteous anger. Well, I couldn't stop laughing. There was nothing righteous about their anger. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. And sometimes Christians love to camouflage anger with lovely spiritual words, but actually it was just anger. And to truly have righteous anger, you need to be righteous. And there is but one who is fully righteous. That's why Jesus could model righteous anger. Now we can partner with righteous anger when it comes to the injustices around the truth of who God is and how our world is trying to manipulate the reality of Jesus and paint pictures of him that aren't true. That's a good place to be righteously angry. But just because you didn't get the last cake at the stall doesn't make you righteous. And it doesn't make what you do righteous anger. It's so easy for us to sin. Even though we're Christians, we find it easy. And most of us want to be good, but don't really know how to. How do we start to change the way we think? Because actually, our external behavior is but the tip of an iceberg. The bigger problem is our internal reality. Now, Jesus did not come into this world just to forgive us for our sins, And to give us a ticket to get us to heaven. And he didn't just come into the world to make our life more difficult for us. Jesus came into this world so that we could be fully alive. And the key to being fully alive is to be fully yielded to who he is. What he says is true. What he instructs us to do is good for us to do. Now if you truly want to be a follower of Jesus... You need to understand that you can't just have forgiveness without having 
a sense of obedience. You also need to understand that if you don't move from just being a fan and start to become a follower, you will never truly be changed from the inside out. And Jesus has a perspective on this, and I just want to share it with you quickly. In John chapter 8, verses 34 to 36, this is what he says about this matter. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, isn't that a sobering thought? Because some of us like to think that we're good people, but we do the odd or occasional sinful act. But if you are regularly doing odd and occasional sinful acts, I'd like to suggest to you, you've already become a partner with that kind of reality. You are indeed a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family and Jesus offers us an alternative perspective on how we should live, but a son belongs to it forever. And this is the greatest message of the gospel of Jesus Christ concerning our moral state. He says, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So Jesus is saying, you may be a fan of mine and you may even have prayed your prayer for me to forgive you, but unless you have submitted to me, unless you are following me, unless you are dying to self, unless you recognize you are morally bankrupt and you need my help to restore you from the inside out, you're probably going to be consistently battling with sin in your life. And if that is the case, you have become a slave to it. Now look at Jesus' promise to us to help us to overcome that issue in our lives. John 8 verse 32 says this about that process. Then you will know the truth. Now what is this truth that Jesus is referring to? Well, it's the truth about our need for God, that's for sure. It's the truth about who Jesus truly is and why he came into our world to break away, to break us away from that condition called sinfulness and to bring us into a place of restoration and healing in relationship with God. You shall know the truth, and that truth will set you free. Now that truth is not just a set of philosophical truths. It's not even a bunch of quotes from the Bible. The truth is the person. Jesus is the truth. He is the way, and he brings us into life. And I love John 8, verse 36. I have to say it again. It became for me a very important scripture throughout the course of my life. Whom the Son sets free will be free indeed. Now, third thing and final thing for us to think about today on the whole conversation we're having about what it means to be a disciple, not just a fan or indeed someone whose sins have been forgiven by God. And one day we'll get to heaven, but we never have to have anything to do with him here on earth. None of that is in the Bible. None of that fits with what Jesus has taught. None of that invites us to the life. None of that produces what Jesus wants it to produce in our life. But this particular thing is probably the hardest thing of all for us to come to terms with. We need, you need, I need to be consistently intentional about becoming like Jesus. It's not enough to be casual. You know, I think sometimes we're slightly casual in our spirituality. I, I call it like an ad hoc approach to spiritual formation. So I go along to a conference, I get blessed. 
And just so you know, I've been along to a conference and I'm really blessed. Someone be happy for me, you miserable. I've been out to Bogota. I mean, who wouldn't be blessed in Colombia? I don't know how many thousands of people there were worshiping Jesus, living sacrificially. The worship was off the scale. The preaching was phenomenal. I'm blessed. But it's an experience. Unless that experience turns into a process, nothing changes. I have to take all that I've heard and all that I've learned and start to apply myself on a day-by-day basis to live in the reality of those truths. I don't get spiritual transformation by association. How many of you have got books you've never read? I know you keep them on the shelf somehow hoping that while you're sleeping the information will jump into you. But I think people live their spiritual life a bit like that. You know, we think we're evangelists because we've got some evangelists in the church. Oh, we're all prayer warriors because you're sitting three seats behind somebody who is. You don't get those things by association. Those things don't come into your life at the measure you can see them in other people's lives unless you are intentional about applying yourself to following Jesus. And this type of living in relationship with Jesus and obedience to his word does a number of things to us that transform us. The first thing it does is it cleans the inside of our cup. When God begins to work in us, he always works from the inside out. Now, if you're around some spiritual people, sometimes they try and work from the outside in. You know, when I first went to church, I had long hair down here and a 24-inch waist and spray-on leather clothes. Don't go there in your mind, it's a sin. But, but you know, people were more interested in what I was wearing. Inside of all of that was a young man who was in love with Jesus. But you couldn't see that for the hair. And here's what people thought would change. Tell him to get his hair cut. Now one gentleman came up to me. He was an elder in the church and I've never been you know, rude to people. But he said to me, long hair on a man is an abomination in the sight of God. I said, not like this baby. <laughs> not like this. Yeah, bad long hair is an abomination. (laughs) I just finished a commercial for Head and Shoulders. My hair was fabulous. It was fabulous. And indeed, it cost me a fortune. Not this hair. Not this man. And then I looked at him and I realized he was follically challenged. So we knew where the motive was coming from. We knew. But what he taught me was this, that sometimes in spiritual environments, people think if you change the outside, the inside gets changed. How many of us know that you can turn up here every week and your life can still be a car crash? You can sing all the songs at the top of your voice and go outside and be bitter and hateful to somebody. It's not what happens on the outside that matters. It matters, but it's not the only thing that matters. What matters is what's happening on the inside. If you let Jesus disciple you, if you let the Holy Spirit bring transforming power to your life, you will be changed beyond all recognition, I promise you. 
God is brilliant at changing lives. He is stunning at reaching hearts and transforming people from the inside out. And the good thing about being transformed from the inside out is it doesn't matter where you are, you are still transformed. Another thing that happens when we let Jesus be the one who disciples us and we follow him and move beyond just having some form of connection to him for the forgiveness of sins is what happens between him and you privately begins to turn up between him and you publicly. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus teaching his disciples on how to live a spiritual life. He says, what your father sees in private, he will reward in public. You know, if, if I was doing a seminar on leadership, I would camp on this. Because sometimes people want to lead when they've never been with God. You can't lead people externally where you haven't been privately with God. Sometimes I find people trying to, you know, the Holy Spirit is here and they say all these wonderful things and I so want it to be true. But actually, the reality is, neither have they spent time cultivating relationship with the Holy Spirit, neither do they know how the Spirit moves, and I'm not judging them, I can just see that they're trying to make something happen. We never have to resort to that. We never have to resort to that because God delights to give us the gifts of the kingdom. Where that becomes a little bit dysfunctional for us is we're trying to be something in public that we haven't really practiced in private. And if you want to have authority externally, you need to let God have authority in you internally. Here's what true discipleship looks like, and I'll close with this. I've been longer than I thought. God wants to take over your life. It's simple, but profoundly true. And you know what? It's going to be very good for you to let him. Because you've been managing affairs for a long time. And look at the mess you got yourself into. It requires of us to learn from Jesus. To remove from our lives anything he highlights that hinders that process. And where it becomes second nature for us to sin, as you allow him to work in you and live in you, It'll become second nature for you to become like him. You'll be able to do good far more easily than you ever could have done wrong. Jesus wants it all. He wants your recreation. He wants your sexuality. He wants your thought life. He wants your heart. And without giving it all to him, you will never truly discover the life that Jesus has for you. There will be that internal wrangling and tug of war as to who has the final say on your life. But Jesus, the one who created you, is the best antidote to you trying to be something that you were never ever created to be, and that is somebody who lives separately from God. You were designed for him. And Jesus came to tell you, that truth and that secret is available to anybody, anybody. I don't care where you are or what you've done or where you've come from. God Almighty sent his son Jesus to tell you that there is hope for humanity. We are not left trying to figure it out on our own. This is what it says about him. He is with us and he is for us.